The reading is from Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower, earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, and to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening. Let me add my welcome uh, to you. It's great to have you with us tonight. And we are continuing our series in Ephesians that we were uh, looking at throughout the, the spring, which we had a short break from during uh, our world mission fortnight. So it's great to be back in Ephesians 4. And let's, let's pray as we begin together. Our Father in heaven, as we've been singing together tonight, it is a a wonderful thing to look forward to the new creation and to that moment when Christ returns and your people are gathered together as one nation, praising you and sharing unity together. Father, we long for that day and please help us now to be those who work towards that day in the way that we live and act and in the way that we are your people together now. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most vivid memories I have from being at school came from the time that I was involved in the RAF cadets. Uh, being in the RAF cadets meant doing lots of boring and tedious things that I didn't enjoy. But the one really good part of being involved was the chance to fly in a two-seater RAF trainer aircraft. And I was extremely excited about the chance to go flying. I remember bragging to all my school friends about the fact that I was going to fly in an RAF plane. Very excited. But I can remember that moment walking out on the tar tarmac at Edinburgh Airport, clutching my parachute and my, and my helmet, and looking forward and seeing this little two-seater plane with uh, stubby short wings and a, a lawnmower of an engine. Uh, a little pile of glass and steel, and thinking, is that it? Is that the plane I'm flying in? 
And I can just remember thinking to myself, do I really want to do this? Head up into the clouds and that little plane over there. Now in my head, I did trust the engineers who designed the plane. I did trust the technicians who had checked the plane. And I did trust the pilots who was going to fly me in the plane. In my head, in theory, sitting on the ground thinking about it, it all made sense. But it's quite another thing to put that trust into practice, to clamber forward, to climb onto the plane, and to go for it. And I remember thinking there on the tarmac, do I really trust, do I really believe in these people? I did. I got in. It was fine. Over the last few months, we've been looking at this book of Ephesians, and we've seen some wonderful, brilliant, life-changing truths about what Christ has done and is doing in the world. He is bringing together a new people. He's calling people from all nations and backgrounds, tribes and tongues, and creating a new people to declare to the world the wisdom of God. We've seen some thrilling and exciting truths about how Christ has brought us from death to life, from slavery to sin, to being free to follow Christ. And yet it is one thing to believe those truths in our minds, to um, assent to them intellectually, to understand them. But it's quite another thing to actually do something about it, to step forward and change our behavior. And as we come to Ephesians 4, we have that sort of tarmac moment standing there in Edinburgh Airport looking at this plane. We have a decision to make. Will we act on what we believe? Will we put into practice the truths that we, we have in our mind, which we know is true, but when the rubber hits the road, will we actually change our actions? The challenge is clear in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In the first three chapters, we've been hearing all about this calling, how Christ has been at work to bring people to himself as part of this new community. And now, from chapter four onwards, Paul is saying, okay, if you believe all that truth about what Christ has done, well, now you've got to live it out. It's got to affect how you live. It's got to change your behavior. It's not good enough just to agree to it in your mind. And so now, from chapter 4 onwards, we get very practical, uh, very uh, precise. We see how it changes our lives in a very everyday sort of way. And all of it is in light of the calling we have received from Christ. Tonight's question is, I think, very clear. It's, it's, it's this. How should God's new people live together? How should God's new people live together? together. If we have been called, what should it look like as we share our lives together? And this is a great question for each one of us to ask, whether we are on the fringe of things, just here to explore what it means to be a Christian, or whether we've been Christian many, many years. A great question to ask ourselves. How should God's new people live together? What does it look like in practice? Well, I think we'll see some great answers from Ephesians 4 together. I've got two points to help us get through the passage together. First point is this. Christ's call brings unity. Christ's call brings unity. I think it's clear that Paul, 
Paul is very much thinking about unity as we go through this whole section. It's, it's there, I think, in verse 1 again. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. From the context in Ephesians, that calling means being brought from death to life to join into a new community as part of God's people. It is a call into unity, a call into community, into fellowship with other Christians. God calls people from diverse backgrounds across ethnical, ethnical, uh, sociological, intellectual backgrounds from different parts of the world. He brings us together uh, from all different backgrounds to a common community. That is the calling we have received. And this theme of unity keeps running through our section. So uh, glance down at verse 4. Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Christ's call brings unity. For those trusting Christ, we all share in one faith and in one hope. We all have one Lord that we worship. which means that we are to be unified. We are unified through Christ's call. We are unified. Uh, just take a quick moment to glance maybe to your left and to your right. Don't do it too obviously just to scare people, but just have a quick glance to your left and to your right. The people sitting around you, whether you like it or not, well, if you're trusting Christ, you are unified with them. You can't really opt out. Uh, it, we are all called by Christ into a new community. And that might scare you or it might make you happy, but we are unified. We can't change that. We are actually part of the same people. And this unity is a profound truth. I remember a few years ago, I went on a short-term mission trip to China. And I found myself many, thousand, many thousands of miles from home in Beijing, chatting to a Christian student who I had just met. Uh, he took me for lunch back at his flat, and he made me the Chinese equivalent of beans on toast. And we just got chatting, and we had very little in common. We could hardly speak anything at all to each other. Uh, we were from very different backgrounds, socially, um, ethnically. We had just very little in common. But the one truly profound thing we had in common was that we were both Christians. And over this little um, meal he made me, we had the most wonderful, sweet, precious time talking about how we shared Christ together. Across thousands of miles, we just had that one hour together. There is a profound unity that exists across God's people. Whether we are British or not, whether we are from the same background or not, God has brought his people together. We are unified. It's true across the seas. It's true here tonight across this room. For all those trusting Christ, we are unified because of Christ's call in our lives. And yet, yes, we are unified. And yet, Paul says in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, yes, we are unified. We, we, we couldn't be more united because of Christ. And yet, we must work hard to be united, 
We must work hard to be united. Uh, the best illustration I can think of is a family illustration. I've got three siblings in my family, and we are family. It wasn't my choice, but I was born into the family. I can't opt out of the family. I have these three siblings, and no matter what I do, we are family. That's a reality. And yet, we can choose to behave as if we're not family, so we could never call each other. We could never uh, meet up. Uh, we could be uh, very remote, very distant. We may not act as if we're family, but we are still family, if you see what I mean. And of course, good families work hard at being family. We, they work hard at communicating and catching up and sharing and loving each other. And I think the similar thing is true with God's family. Yes, we are united because of Christ, and yet we need to work hard at being united. There's that uh, two-full perspective. We are united. We must work hard at being united. Well, what does this mean for us tonight? Well, I just have two thoughts by way of application. First of all, unity will be tough. Unity will be tough. Paul has to plead to the Ephesians to make, verse 3, every effort to keep the unity. Why is it tough? Well, I think verse 2 gives us a hint. Paul says in verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be humble, says Paul. You see, humility does not come naturally to any one of us. Uh, we don't naturally like to put ourselves down and to put others first. There is a certain form of humility which is actually false humility. It's, it's looking humble in order to impress other people so that we look good in front of other people. That's not true humility. True humility really wants to serve others, who really puts the other person first, who really thinks about the other person's concerns and needs and welfare before our own. True humility put, means putting aside our agendas and our personal tastes and appetites and preferences for the sake of others. True humility only comes from the gospel from our calling, where we realize that we were dead in our transgressions, but Christ, through his grace, has made us alive. So unity will be tough. It'll mean being humble. It'll mean being willing to admit that sometimes we are wrong, maybe in a small group Bible study, opening up and saying, actually, I got that wrong, I wasn't right. Or maybe in a relationship, saying to someone else, I'm sorry, I spoke out of turn. I didn't say that just right. Please forgive me. It might mean being slow to express our own opinion or preference for the sake of someone else's view. Or, or being patient with someone when they've made a mistake or wronged us. True unity will be tough. It does mean humility. But the gospel brings us the motivation we need. The other point of application is this. True unity comes from God. True unity comes from God. You see, the world says to us, birds of a feather flock together. In other words, people of similar appetites and interests and hobbies and uh, humor and intellectual ability, well, those people will flock together. They'll be drawn like magnets to each other. Uh, that's how unity works. You, know, you join a club because you like playing golf or you join an orchestra because you like singing or, or playing uh, an instrument. 
That's how unity works in the world. But in God's new community, unity is based not on hobbies and things that we enjoy doing, but it's based on God's call, on his grace. Which means that in church, as God's people, we are not just to spend time with people we like, with the people who happen to play golf with us or whatever it is. But we are to spend time with all of God's people because we are united with everyone. That's why unity comes from God and not from our hobbies and our uh, preferences. How should God's new community live together? Well, the first thing to realize is Christ's call brings unity. Secondly, Christ's call brings diversity. Brings diversity. A few weeks ago, I spoke to someone who had become a Christian quite recently, and he was telling me about how before he became a Christian, his biggest fear about becoming a Christian was that he would lose his personality, that he would become a Christian clone, that he'd have to give up his sense of humor and his personality and hobbies, and you'd have to become very uniform, uh, very uh, fitting into the Christian mold. And he just didn't think he could do it. He didn't want to. It wasn't him. He became a Christian, and he realized with great joy that actually being a Christian wasn't about fitting into a, a mold or being a clone. Yes, there was a sense in which we have to deny ourselves and follow Christ, but Christ calls us um, to be who we are, to be our, our personalities, not to to lose who we are as people. He has made us with certain gifts and personalities. And so yes, on one hand, we're called to be, to be unified as God's people, but we are to be diverse as well. And that's clear from verse seven. Paul says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Christ has given to his church um, different gifts, different grace gifts to his people. Christ's call brings diversity. We're not called to be clones. Uh, Paul goes on to quote uh, Psalm uh, 68. And in that psalm, uh, the writer talks about God as being a, a conquering king who brings his people up out of Egypt to Mount Zion. And as the, the conquering king, he, he passes out gifts to his people which was typical of a king of that day. And Paul takes that image and he applies it to Christ and says, Christ is the conquering king who, who for a while um, descended to earth in humility, but he has been raised back up to heaven in glory. And like a conquering king, he now passes out gift to his people. Grace apportioned by Christ. And we see this in practice in verse 11 uh, Paul says, it was he, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Christ's call brings diversity. Now, what's going on there in verse 11? What is Paul talking about in that list? I have to be careful here. I know there's some debate about the, the, the role of apostles and prophets in the Bible. Um, I know there are lots of views and there's, there's a, health, a healthy discussion to be had about uh, what it means uh, to be an apostle or a prophet and whether we have those people around today. 
Uh, For what it's worth, my own opinion is that in the book of Ephesians, Paul has a very particular definition and view of who an apostle is and who a prophet is. And I think that for Paul, that particular job description, that that post is not uh, present, not found today in God's church. It was a a once-for-all role which took place back when God was giving his word to his people. And I, I say that because of Ephesians 2, verse 20, where Paul talks about apostles and prophets as being foundational to the church with Christ as the chief cornerstone. It seems to me there in 2, verse 20, that there is a sort of unique once-for-all aspect to being an apostle and a prophet, someone who brings God's word to God's people once for all. And so in verse 11, I think what we find is we find uh, people who have a particular job in bringing God's word to God's people. We have the apostles and prophets bringing the once-for-all word of God to his people through the scriptures, and then evangelists, pastors, and teachers who have, a, have an ongoing role of bringing God's word to God's people. So the theme there is God's word being passed on to God's people. And the goal of this is clear in verse 12. It is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Christ's call brings diversity. You see, as God's word is explained and brought to bear in in people's lives, so all of God's people are prepared to be ministers, servants, to be involved in God's work, to build up his church. And I take it that means that each one of us will serve in different ways according to the gifts that Christ has given us in verse 7. We all have a role to play. We all have a function to, to, to serve and to build up the body of Christ. And the amazing thing is that, is that if, if, if one of us stops serving, if, if we are not prepared and we, we don't get involved, well, actually, the whole body suffers. Paul has this picture of the future when all of God's people are built up and unified together and, and he, he thinks that if one person stops serving and being involved, then the whole body suffers. And it's an interesting thought, isn't it, as we think about our own role here at St. Andrews. For example, uh, do I come to Sago tonight or should I stay at home and do my essay? Or, or should I go to discuss on Thursday even though I'm feeling tired? Or should I go to the home group this week, or, or should I volunteer to help out on the welcome team, or to do the projection or the sound? You see, it, it might feel like quite a small decision to make, those little decisions. But actually, if we are thinking about serving and helping each other, actually, as each one of us serves and ministers, the whole body will grow. And if one of us says, actually, I'm not going to come to house group tonight, well, actually, in some small way, the, the body suffers and misses out. Christ's call brings diversity, and it's in that diversity of gifts that God's body grows. I wonder if we can put up a, a next slide here. This should be the picture. This is the picture of the, uh, the notice board outside on uh, Linton Road. I think you should, uh, Northmore Road, so I think you should recognize it. You probably can't quite read the, the writing, but I'm just thinking about the right-hand side where it says vicar and Associate Vicar and curate and so on. Um, 
And it's very helpful, actually, to, for churches to, to announce who is in charge of a church. It's good to know who to go to if you have a question or, or an issue, uh, to know who's in charge of the church. But the danger of, of, of that notice board, and please don't go and change it afterwards, but the danger of it is that we can think, we can just slip into the mindset that the people who really work at St. Andrews, the people who minister there, are the three people written down on the right-hand side. And according to Ephesians 4, that is just not the case. We could actually add a, a further line, which would say this. Ministers, question mark, answer everyone. Now, please don't go and write that on the board. I'll, I'll get in trouble from Andrew later on. But you can see the point, can't you? Uh, we mustn't get into the mindset that it's only people who are ordained or who are paid who are ministers at a church. Uh, Paul says in verse 12, God's people are to be doing works of service, which is works of ministry. Every one of us is a minister given unique grace gifts from Christ to be used to build up the body. Christ's call brings diversity. So how should uh, God's new community live together? Well, I think we have two wonderful themes tonight. We have this theme of unity. We are to be unified because of what Christ has done. Therefore, work hard at unity. And yet we are diverse with different gifts and abilities and personalities. And we, we are to use these to build God's body. Or as verse 15 says, we are to speak the truth in love to each other. And that is why it's so important that we are involved in, in small groups and uh, in fellowship together. We are to be in relationships. We are, we, we are speaking the truth in love to each other. Receiving truth and passing on truth in love that the body may grow up together. That is how we are to live as God's new people. I just want to finish with one final thought of application. There may be some here tonight who have been listening to this sermon about unity, and we might be thinking, well, yeah, unity is really important, but actually I haven't got a problem with unity. I've been here for a year, two years, three years at St. Andrews, and I haven't had an argument with anyone. I haven't fallen out with anyone. I haven't had a blazing row with anybody over coffee. Um, yeah, I believe in unity, and I, I haven't got a problem with unity. I'm completely on board, and in a sense, it's working. I love coming to church. That's great. If, if that is the case, then I am thrilled to hear it. But, but be careful, because the unity that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4 is not unity from a distance. It is not unity where we say hello over coffee for five minutes once a week. No, it is unity where we are sharing lives day in, day out, where we are really getting to know each other. Back to the whole family's illustration. I don't know if you've noticed in your family, but it's true in my family, that it's quite easy to get on as a family when you're long distance. You know, the odd phone call to catch up or the odd email. You know, normally you can avoid the, the, the difficult issues. A nice chat and everyone's happy. But do you notice maybe over Christmas when everyone is in the house together for a week, all 10, 20 of you all together in close proximity, that's when the tension can break out. That's when the misunderstanding and the quarrels can come to the surface. You see, that, when, when God brings people together, really together, that's when 
the real question of unity comes to the surface. You see, God is calling us as a, as a people not to the sort of long-distance phone call unity, but to the day-in, day-out, life's being shared unity. That's when we bring our gifts to bear in service. So if you have found that you've been here at St. Andrews for two or three years and you, you just fitted right in and you found it to be a very unified place, that is brilliant and may it always be the case. But can I challenge you also, have you really got involved? Have you really started to serve and to care and to get your hands dirty, so to speak, in ministry here at St. Andrews? Because often that's when it becomes really difficult to keep the unity. And yet that is when we are called to be united in the service of Christ. So how should God's people live together? We are to be united and we are to celebrate our differences and we are to serve together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the calling we have received through Christ, this calling of death to life, of grace, of forgiveness, of mercy. Father, please help us to live out that calling in our lives and help us to be a people who are united together and yet a people who are serving in our different ways to build up your body. And we pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.